good to see lots of faces in the house of God today. So we've been doing this series, um, Love Revolution. We've looked at loving God. We've looked at loving your neighbor. Uh, we looked very challengingly at love your enemy. That was a painful one, challenging one. Um, we're going to look in a different direction today, and I want to share our key scripture that we've kept coming back to. The Word of God is amazing because you can hear it a thousand times and get a thousand different angles that reflect the beauty of God. I kind of like to think it's like a multifaceted diamond, and that when you look at it from different angles, it reflects God's light, it reflects His beauty. We're going to look at Mark 12 and go from verse 30 to 31. I'm just giving you the context here. Jesus is being asked, what is the greatest commandment of all? When we hear that word commandment, many of us will perhaps go to the Ten Commandments. We think, oh, well, there's not that many to pick from. But actually, in the context of where this is in Israel, there was also the mitzvahs, the 613 Jewish laws. So there was a lot of choice here for Jesus to pick from. And Jesus is being asked by one of the teachers of the law, one of the religious educators, which one's the best? Which one trumps all the others? And this is how Jesus responded in Mark 12, verse 30 to 31. He says this, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and all of your strength. He said, the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. You can also find another version of this in Matthew 22, where we find Jesus responding, and it adds in there that all of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Basically, love God with everything. And then the second commandment, which is equally as important, is love your neighbor as you love yourself. I want you to know this. It's biblical to love yourself. <laughs> In fact, Jesus said, you, you should. It's a commandment. Here, it, we're not, this is not like an additional bolt-on, like if you're organizing your mobile phone contract. It's not an optional bolt-on. This is a commandment of Jesus Christ that he's saying that we are to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. I want to ask you the question today, how well do you love yourself? How well do you love yourself? Now, let me just clarify here. I don't mean in an arrogant, egotistical, you think you're better than everyone else. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a healthy, appropriate, biblical God-honoring way that we can love ourselves in a way that glorifies and pleases God. 
could put it another way, you could ask the question, rather than saying, how well do you love yourself, you could ask, how well do you accept yourself? How well do you accept yourself without judgment? Now, if you've ever walked through a forest, which I'm pretty sure everyone here has at some point in your life walked through a forest or an area where there's been a lot of trees, you will see lots of different trees of many kinds, tall, short, fat, thin, young, old, different shades. You're going to have different scarrings on the the trunk of the trees. You're going to have, you know, some have lots of branches, some have a few branches, some with lots of leaves, some with not many leaves, some with flowers, some with fruit, some without flowers or fruit, some with broken branches. But I'm pretty sure that none of you walked through the forest and began to judge the trees around you. Yet the reality is that many of us in our lives, we end up judging other people and we end up judging ourselves. We fall into this judgmental trap. Now, here we've been looking in Mark 12, verse 30 to 31, about this commandment, the great commandment. What what is the mission of every Christian? The mission of every Christian, the purpose of every Christian is basically this, the great commandment and the great commission. Great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbors yourself. That's the great commandment. The great commission is go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing everyone in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. So we are here to love God. We're here to love people. And we're here to make disciples. But let me ask this question. What is a commandment? When you look up that word commandment, you find out that what it means, it means an order, it means a charge, it means a rule. It's part of our duty as believers to live out the commandment, not from a place of legalism, not from a place of guilt, not from a sense of obligation, but we obey because we love God and we want to please him with our lives. We want to fulfill the plan and purpose that he has for us. So today we're really going to hone in on what does it mean to love yourself or accept yourself. Now I think that if we're honest, no one in this room or watching online can do this perfectly. I don't think we'll ever fully perfect this until we get the other side of eternity. I think that learning to love ourselves in a healthy biblical way is an ongoing journey. But I believe that over time, we should be making progress, growing in maturity in how we can love ourselves in a healthy way. I thought it would be helpful first to just start out with asking, what is love? We were saying about love yourself, but, but what is love? Well, Laura... Pastor Laura just came up a moment ago and she read from 1 Corinthians 13, the famous love is chapter. 
And, and in that chapter, we read how love is patient, it's, it's kind, it does not envy, it's not boast, it's not rude, it's not arrogant, it doesn't store up the wrong things, does it? This is what love is. Because I think the world that we live in, when, when we hear love mentioned in the world, often it's talking about a fuzzy feeling. We want a nice, cozy, uh, fuzzy, fluffy feeling. But how many of you know that that is not love? <laughs> now, sometimes there might be some fruit of love, but actually, love is a decision. Love is a choice. And sometimes your feelings are not always there. As a husband, I have certain chores that I need to do around the house at times. And let me tell you and be honest, I don't always feel like doing them. Many of you can relate to this. I know some of you enjoy it. But I do it because I love my wife and I love my family. And so I have a responsibility. And we all have different responsibilities. Mine might look differently to yours. But we all have responsibilities. But, but love is a response. It is sacrificial. And in 1 Corinthians 13, we see about how God is calling us to love other people. But it's also about how we should love ourselves. It's also a description, I always think of 1 Corinthians 13, it's actually a description of who Jesus is. So rather than saying love is, put the word Jesus. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus is not arrogant or boastful. Jesus doesn't store up the wrongs that we have. It's a, it's a description of who Jesus is. So that's the true love that we're talking about today. So why do we sometimes struggle to love ourselves? I think there's a lot of different reasons why we at times will struggle with this issue. I think sometimes guilt and shame can affect the way that we love ourselves. Sometimes we have this sense of past mistakes that we've made and that we just can't forgive ourselves or let these things go. Maybe there were some bad things that happened to us in our life and because of these things, we don't feel worthy of love. We carry these weights, we carry this shame. Maybe you've made some significant mistakes in your past that you just feel bad about. But you need to know the gospel message is that Jesus died on the cross to forgive you of all of your mistakes. Past, present, and future. That's how powerful the cross is. So he paid the price for all of our sin, all of our shame, all of the things that we, we've ever done wrong. It was paid in full on the cross. When Jesus said, it is finished, it was finished. In other words, he was saying, mission complete, job done. There's no more that needs to be added. Jesus doesn't need to be crucified again, but it was finished in that moment. And I want to say this, whatever sins that you might have committed, and we've all sinned. Let me say this, we have all sinned, we've all messed up in our lives. You need to know this, there's no sin too big that God cannot and will not forgive it. But the key thing for us to do, how do we walk in that 
forgiveness, let's have a look at 1 John 1, 9. It says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So you can be cleansed. You can be freed. You can have all of that debt of your sin cancelled. And this is what Jesus did. He, he paid the price for our sin. How do we walk in that? How do we receive that? How, how do we enter into to this promise here? Well, it says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins. So that's our part. God's done his part. It's like, it's like you have a big debt to pay. And God's written a check, and he's saying, here's the check, take the check, it's paid for. If you take it and you cash it, the debt will be cleared. And each and every one of us have the free will of whether we choose to accept and receive that check by faith, putting our faith and trust in God. It is his grace. We cannot earn it, we don't deserve it, yet God in his love and his compassion, he extends his grace towards you. I want to ask you today, have you confessed your sin to God? Have you confessed your sin to God? You know what? Every day I confess my sin to God. Every day you sin. Now that might be a surprise to some of you. No, I don't. I'm really good. I'm really holy. No, really, you, every day you sin. You miss the mark of perfection. That's what sin means. It, it, it's, it comes from an archery term, an Anglo-Saxon archery term. And if you were a sinner, what it meant is that you missed the mark, the bullseye, the mark of perfection. When we sin, we miss God's perfect standard. So we, we have all sinned. But bringing things before him, confessing, it's like it helps us to, to live a clean and free life. Confession is extremely powerful. It opens the door for God to cleanse and heal and restore you. And it, can't, and it can unlock wells of blessing in your life. And, and to, to confess your sin, it requires humility. I confess you know, stuff to God sometimes that I'm like, of stuff that I might not even be aware of. So sometimes like one of my prayers will be, God, forgive and cleanse me of all sin, known or unknown. Any wrong words, deeds, thoughts, actions. And sometimes it's not even about what you do, sometimes it's about what you didn't do. Someone God sent your way and he wanted you to share his love with that person. But you were so busy and caught up in your own world that you ignored them. What have you done? You've just sinned. It's called the sin of omission. You omitted to do something that you were equipped and empowered and called to do. Often we think about the, the laws, you know, the, the outer laws of, you know, don't kill, don't steal, don't commit adultery. And these are really good, healthy laws to help keep us on track. That was Old Testament. But Jesus came along. And grace was not a downgrade. Sometimes you'll meet Christians that are like, oh, like we don't need the law anymore. You know, it's all under grace and we can just do what we want now. 
let me tell you this. Grace was not a downgrade. It was an upgrade. Because Jesus didn't just say, don't, don't kill. Jesus said this, don't even think it. Don't even think thoughts of hatred or anger or malice towards someone else. So what do you think is more difficult? Don't kill someone or don't have a bad thought about someone. I mean, most of us, most days, we, we have to battle with the monsters of the mind where we have to clean up some stinking thinking because my thinking's not always holy. Sometimes someone could cut me off in traffic and, you know, I, I want to tell them that there's one way. And, uh, but I refrain in Jesus' name and say, Lord, bless them. But sometimes, you know, our pride can jump up, can't it? Maybe some of you want to give them a victory in Christ sign. But, but, but God has called us to be a people that bring our, bring our faults to him. Allow him to, to cleanse us. A powerful prayer is, Lord, highlight any areas of my life where I'm walking in sin and I'm not aware of it. So that I can bring it into the light and I can get it dealt with. The law says don't commit adultery. What did Jesus say? Don't even think it in your mind. So the law had a much lower expectation. Grace has a much higher expectation. There's, there's much higher standards under the ministry of Jesus than there was under the old law. And Jesus said he didn't come to abolish the law, he came to fulfill the law. None of us can fulfill the law, but Jesus is the thing. So in the New Testament, when we receive Christ into our life, it's no longer just about what I can do in my own strength and ability. Now it becomes about I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So now it's not about what I can do, it's about what he can do in and through me. So he gives us the strength. We have that great advantage. So I think that some of us, we, we do struggle with, with guilt and shame. And it's important that we bring these things before God. That we confess our sin to him, knowing that he will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And it's good to be specific. So don't just, Lord, forgive me of my sin. I think sometimes it's really powerful to name it. Forgive me for the way that I spoke to that person. Forgive me for you know, not being obedient in that area when I knew that you'd called me to and you'd given me what I needed to help that person. I didn't do it. Forgive me. Sometimes it's helpful to confess our shortcomings to the person that we've hurt to clear any wreckage to make amends where it's necessary because sometimes it's not just about our healing and restoration it's also about the others the other person because sometimes you know we can come to Christ and maybe we've had this trail of devastation of just hurting other people we come to Christ we know that he's loving, gracious God, that he forgives and cleanses us of all unrighteousness. So we can say, right, that's it. I've asked God for forgiveness. He's cleaned the deck. That's it. I don't need to worry about what I've done. 
Jesus pays in full the debt, but sometimes he says, right, now we need to go back and we need to clear up some wreckage. Because it's not always just about your healing and your restoration. Sometimes it's about helping other people. And sometimes, and I'm not saying it's in every case, sometimes the Lord might say, no, that's not wise to go back. And, but sometimes the Lord might say, no, you do need to go back. And you do need to make amends. You do need to make an apology. And maybe for some of you, you might be thinking, yeah, but what if they say that they don't receive it? That's up to them. All you can do is clean your side of the street. If they want to live in squalor on their side, that's up to them. That's out of your control. But we need to do our part to clean our side of the street. And can I give you a little bit of advice? When you give an apology, if the Holy Spirit is leading you that way or leads you that way in the future, don't say sorry, but. Have you ever had an apology with a but? You need to get your butt out the way and just apologize. Because then it's like, well, why did you even apologize? It's almost like you're saying sorry for doing something, but then you justify why you did it. So grow up, be mature. I'm speaking myself here as well. And just say sorry. I'm sorry when I did this. It made you feel like that. It hurt you in some way. And then we walk away. Well, well what if they don't apologize back to me? Again, you're just cleaning your side of the street. And you leave that person with God. You pray for them. Lord, help soften their heart. It's the power of confession. Why else do we sometimes struggle to love ourselves in a healthy, God-honoring way? I think that sometimes we struggle to love ourselves, we struggle to accept ourselves, sometimes because of lies that we have believed. Sometimes we hear things that are not true, but we think they are true. For some of you here, some of you watching online, maybe, maybe your parents said some things to you that were, were not nice, were not helpful. Maybe they told you you weren't good enough or you'll never amount to anything. Maybe they withheld affection and, and love from you and you were always in this place of feeling like it doesn't matter what I do, it's never enough to attain their love. Maybe for some of you, it might be teachers that have told you that you're not bright enough, that you're just a, a mess up, that you'll never amount to anything in your life, that you're worthless, you're a waste of space. Maybe it could have been a previous relationship. Maybe there are certain things that should have been provided for you by your parents that were never provided for you. Maybe, maybe for some of you, I know it's my mum's experience, she never remembers her parents ever saying, I love you. That's really sad. 
It's the reality of the world that we live in. There is a lot of brokenness that goes on in the world. Lies that we have been believing. Maybe uh, you felt like that you have fallen short of deserving of love. Maybe you were treated badly by someone in such a way that made you think that you were damaged and defect and in some way, therefore, unlovable. It's lies. Lies of the enemy. And we're constantly being bombarded by lies of the enemy all around us. That's why we have to guard our heart. We have to renew our mind. We have to... To, to change the way that we think to align with the truth of God's word. Don't just suck up everything that people say to you. Don't just listen to everything that the mainstream media pumps at you. We have to be wise. We have to be discerning. What is truth? What's a lie? I think that sometimes we also can be our own worst enemy by the lies that we tell ourselves. And as a result of listening to these voices, these lies that we allow to take root in our life, the lies end up hindering us from walking in the liberty, the joy, the freedom of truth. Lies, if not dealt with, can hold you back from walking in the fullness of all that God has for you. right now, I just want to interject in my sermon, just feel it in my spirit, to pray for anyone here who's joining us online, that you have struggled with some lies. Why don't we just close our eyes in this holy moment, and I'm going to pray into this area that the Lord will break off supernaturally any lies that you have entertained, any Lies that you have allowed to take root in your life. I'm also going to deal with guilt and shame and pray that the Lord would just invade those areas as well. So, Father God, thank you that you are so merciful, you're so kind. And you are a God of truth. And when we know the truth, the truth will liberate and set us free. So right now, I pray that you would break off every single lie of the enemy, every single lie that has hindered your people, Lord, from walking in the fullness of all that you have for them. We sever every lie, every voice of accusation of the enemy. And Lord, we announce the truth that it is you, Jesus, who would set your people free flourish and to soar high on wings like eagles, renewed strength. Father, we also pray that you'd lift off any guilt or shame that people are carrying, regrets of the past right now, supernaturally, Lord, as, as we confess our sin to you, 
thank you, God, that you are faithful and just to forgive and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not, not some, not most, all unrighteousness. So I just pray right now that you break off any guilt or shame that might be carried, Lord. May we not carry it. May we not think that we know more than you, God, by saying that we're not forgiven. Lord, we give it all to you. And we thank you for your cleansing power through the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, we agree. We agree in, in faith, in unity of our love for you. God's people said, Amen. The lies that we've believed, guilt and shame. What about this one? A lack of knowledge of God's love. A lack of knowledge of God's love. Now, I think most of us here would probably know, oh yeah, I know God loves me. And we often say it, we often sing it, we tell other people about it. But do you really believe God loves you? Do you really believe it? Or is there a kind of a fill in the blank? Yeah, he loves me when I read my Bible lots, when I pray lots, when I attend church every week, when I'm you know, giving my tithes and offerings, when I am evangelizing, or whatever it is, fill in the blank. Is, is it a conditional love? Because the reality is, this is the gospel message, is that God's love for you is unconditional. It's not based on your performance. It's based on his goodness. It's based on his character. He loves you as you are. But he loves you too much to leave you as you are. We have a big banner at the front of the church that says, come as you are. That's how Jesus invites us to come. With our shortcomings, with our questions, with our mess. But here's the thing. When we encounter him, we cannot help but be changed. Me and Russell, we were talking about this this morning in the boiler room prayer about Zacchaeus, the little short guy, the tax collector, the dodgy dealer. The Del Boy of the old of the of the Bible. He, he had a checkered past, and people did not like him. He had made a lot of bad decisions in his life. Yet he'd heard about this Jesus, and this man that no doubt was battling with rejection, with loneliness, with an emptiness. What good is it to gain the whole world and lose your soul? He was empty. He heard about this Jesus, and hope began to arise, and he climbs a tree. Many of you are probably familiar with the story. And he starts looking for Jesus. Jesus stops. He says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming around your, I'm coming to your house. We're going to have some food together. Put on the barbecue. Zacchaeus was transformed by grace, not by judgment. 
it's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. What does repentance mean? It means to change your mind, to go in a different direction. Jesus didn't pull out a sheet of paper and say, right, Zacchaeus, I've got a hundred reasons of why you're a filthy sinner. Sometimes we have to be aware that be careful not to fall into the Pharisee mode of fault finding. Because if you look for faults, you will find it. I promise you, you will find it. Our perception is our choice. We can either be like the vulture who looks for dead things, and what does the vulture eventually find? Dead things. Or we can be like the hummingbird who looks for sweet things, and what does the hummingbird find? Sweet things. You always get what you what you look for. God's heart, Jesus' heart, had love for Zacchaeus. His heart was transformed by that picture, that, that encounter with grace. Because he was used to rejection. He was used to everyone shunning him and shouting at him and telling him what they thought about him in a very put-down way. And yet Jesus stopped for him. He stopped for you and he stopped for me. This is the message. We might not be a corrupt tax collector, but we've all messed up in our own way. And yet Jesus stopped for us. In the midst of the crowd, he stopped for the one. And come and join us. We're going to have food. Hang out. Zacchaeus wants to be friends. That's the message. The father us as his children. I want to be friends. You need to be friends. He was so impacted by that situation that he said, I'm going to give half of my wealth to the poor and anything that I have stolen, I'm going to give back multiple times over. It was way beyond the requirements of the law. Grace is your upgrade. It's not your downgrade. But here's the thing. It wasn't like Jesus said, right, Zacchaeus, now this is what you've got to do. You're going to have to give 50% of your money away. And for those that you've wronged, this is what I want you to do. And this is what the law says. No, that's not what happened. He simply encountered the love of God, the grace of God. And he couldn't help himself because he knew he was forgiven. He knew he was free. He knew that he had a new way to live. You need to know that you've got a new way to live now. Not live in the old way anymore. Live in the better life, the life of peace. The life following Jesus. Sometimes we have a lack of knowledge of God's love. We don't really believe God loves us. We might have the head knowledge, but it doesn't mean we've got the heart knowledge. We don't really feel it. If you really knew it, you would act differently. And perfect love casts out all fear. It's really radical to say that when we are bound in fear, what we're doing is we're saying, I don't trust you, God. Ooh, that one hurt a little bit. It's quite challenging when you think about that, isn't it? Here's the reality. I don't always, I 
don't always trust God fully. I want to. I want to. And God will meet us at the point of our greatest need. He'll meet us where we're at and say, Lord, I want to trust you in all things. Because you do love me perfectly. And in that revelation, in that place, it casts out all fear. Fear cannot be. lack of knowledge of God's love can rob us from loving ourselves appropriately. When we don't feel loved, it's a lot more difficult to express love towards others. The more love we feel, the easier it is to pour out love from that place. God will give you the supernatural ability to love people that are really difficult to love. That includes your neighbors. That includes your enemies. That includes yourself. Whoever you struggle to love, God will give you that supernatural power because God is love. And when you invite God into your life, he lives in you by his Holy Spirit. Therefore, from that place, you can love others. Jeremiah 31, 3 says this, I have loved you with an everlasting love. What does everlasting mean? Never ending. Has no beginning, has no end, keeps on going. When you mess up, I love you have doubts, I love you. When you fall and stumble, I love you. It's the message of the cross. It's the message, the good news of Jesus that he loves you no matter what. One-way traffic is coming right at you all the time. God's love, God's love, God's love. You can't deflect it. You can't get away from it. <laughs> the apostle Paul speaks about his revelation. Think about this. The Apostle Paul is in prison. He's been shipwrecked. He's been beaten. He's been persecuted. He's lost loved ones. He's had a, a, a very bad past. But despite his circumstance and the difficulties that he found himself in, he said this, nothing can separate me from the love You need to know this. The core of your being, nothing can ever separate you from God's love. Not hardships, trials, what anyone else has said, whatever's happened to you in your past, whatever the lies, the guilt or shame that you might have carried at times, nothing can separate you from God's love. Always there. Pursue him. You are loved unconditionally by God. Romans 5.8 says this, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. One of my favorite scriptures. When I didn't deserve it, when I was at my worst, 
Christ died for you. When you were at your worst, Christ died for you. Even while we were yet, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't just say he loved us. He stretched out on the cross. And he demonstrated it. You know, I think words can be cheap. Actions are expensive. And, and I think we do need to be better with words. And I want to say this. Guys, as a church, as church family, you guys should be telling each other, I love you. But I understand that for some of you, you have come from some dysfunctional areas where you're not used to that. For some of you, because you weren't told much that you were loved, you've actually come to believe the lie that it's uncomfortable, that it's awkward. I think the people of God should be the most loving people on the planet. And I'm not saying that we just fake it. I'm not just saying we, hey, like, we can ask God to help us. And I, I find as you know, I go through more trials and go through more life. I, I just, no, I just feel it's like God just goes deeper. Steve, I love you, mate. Dorothy, I love you. Kieran, I love you. Lorraine, I love you. You're my sister. We're family. For some of you, that might have felt a little bit awkward. Guys, we need to talk family language. <laughs> you know, in my role, I get to do funerals. I hear some of the nicest speeches, some of the nicest things that people say. It's really nice, but part of me thinks they're not here. Why didn't you say this when they were alive? Way much more impacting. Makes much more of a diff. Guys, let's not hold back. Christian, I love you. I'm so proud of you. You're part of God's family. He treasures you. You're a masterpiece. Let's talk the language of love. His love that matters more than anyone else's. So even if everyone else in the world turned their back on you, his love is not going to turn back. He loves you. His love matters more than anyone else. His opinions supersede all others. Nothing can separate you. Can I be a little bit real with you? Pull back some layers today, is that okay? This this next one I've really battled with most of my life. Sometimes what holds us back from self-love, accepting ourselves, is comparing ourselves to others. 
we might hear the voice, I'm not good enough, I'm not bright enough, I'm not beautiful enough, I'm, I'm not as a, a accomplished enough, I'm, I'm not successful enough, or whatever it is, you fill in the blank for what it is for you. When we compare ourselves to others, it always ends up robbing us. Because if one way we look at it and we might say, oh, well, you know, I'm, I compare myself to Cameron, you know, well, I can do this more than Cameron, and then I end up puffing myself up, thinking I'm better, pride kicks in, it's not going to help me. I'm belittling Cameron by doing that. But then it can go the other way where I think, oh, Cameron's so much better than me at this, this, and this. I'm not worthy. I'm, you know, we end up devaluing who God's called us to be. This week, this this week, I was I was at a, uh, a residential um, just north of London, and I was with lots of other pastors and leaders. Some like super. Talented, gifted preachers, leaders, churches way bigger than City Life. And, and, and I thought I was a lot further along the way than I actually am. And there was a part way through, we were there for like two and a half days, and there was like, yeah, lots of meetings and stuff. And so I was part of this, I was one of the uh, part of the ministry team there. just someone said to me just hearing that bring hearing the lie they're so much better than you are why are you here and I remember just comparing myself in a way that was not helpful or healthy in any way I started to be down on myself. Started to find myself slipping into a bit of self-pity. Guys, I'm just being real with you. Is that okay? Because we need, in church, we've got to be willing to be real with one another. And, and I just found myself being like, oh, they're so much more gifted than I am. Comparison's a thief. Rob you of your peace, it will rob you of your joy. What are the lies? What are the what are the the traps of comparison? What does that look like for you? You know, because you know, if I'm honest, you know, sometimes I'm around other pastors and leaders and I feel, hey, I'm great. And maybe confession, maybe sometimes I feel like I'm a little bit further ahead. And it's, hey, when you're in a room, when you're, you know, the most experienced or, you know, the most knowledgeable or, you know, you, you've been around, you know, church a, a long time, then you can kind of feel like, hey, I feel pretty comfortable, you know, I feel all right. I remember hearing this saying, if you're the brightest person in the room, find yourself a new room. Like, get around people where you feel dwarfed. <laughs> But what doesn't challenge you will not change you. So sometimes we have to be willing to go into environments where we feel way out of our depth. And I'm there and I'm 
listening to some of these conversations that this residential, I'm like, Cameron, am I even saved? <laughs> now, I know that's only a joke. That's going a little bit far. But, you know, it's like, oh, you know, you only pray for an hour a day. I pray for like four hours a day. What? You only read your Bible for an hour a day. I read mine for five hours a day. What? Suddenly you start to become aware. So driving back in the car, what did I do? I made a few phone calls. I said, hey, I'm struggling. Can I share with what, what just happened? started listening out of the love because I knew it was love. I knew it was the enemy trying to discourage me, trying to distract me, trying to get me off course. Word for Christ. Don't compare yourself to others. Be who God has called you to be. I remember just sitting back as I was reflecting. I've got my, you know, one of my mentors who prayed for me and he said, hey, I go to Spirit Attack all the time. It's helpful to know. And he prayed for me. And he told me, you're being silly. <laughs> we all need people that will tell us the truth. I said, hey, what are you going on about? Dorothy, your son Dave, Hears me all the time. He is one of my biggest encouragers. So, oh, feeling thrown in the towel. I don't feel I can do it anymore. I said, what are you talking about? Keep on going. You know you're called to this. I felt this during the worship, and I feel this is a word for someone here today. Often you are most tempted to give up the closest you are to that point of breakthrough. So whoever that is for, you need to know, keep on going. Do not lose faith. God is with you. He has called you. He has equipped you. We sung it earlier. You're going to make it through. I sung it. Sometimes I was like, oh, singing it a lot of times. Yes, to get the point, you're going to make it through. God will bring you through. He will give you that strength. close your eyes and just let the Holy Spirit minister to whatever from the message today may have resonated, may have connected. God wants to meet you where you're at. God wants to bring greater freedom. He wants to free some of you who've been struggling this, maybe your whole life struggling with what it means to love yourself in a healthy way. Say, Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Release us, Lord, from those times that we compare ourselves to others. May we know that truth that we are your masterpiece. 
cherished by you. Lord, I speak and declare freedom over every person here. Lord, over every person listening to my voice online. I speak freedom. Thank you that we are loved by you unconditionally. And may that drop from the head to the heart that we know it in the core of our being. Lord, teach us to love you with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength. Teach us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And yes, Lord, we're going to go there. Even help us to love our enemies. Because we thank you that with your love, we can overcome. Lord, with whatever part points, parts I've missed out, Holy Spirit, fill in the gaps. Compensate for my, for my shortcomings not being able to fully deliver everything that's in my heart. Lord, it's not about what's in my heart. It's about what's, it, what's on your heart for your people. So Holy Spirit, have your way. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all.